Welcome to the Eight Facets of Life podcast with Chris Conley and Debbie Ellis. On this podcast, we will examine the components that make up our lives and discuss how we can make improvements. God wants us to perform at our best in all aspects of life, but why don't we? We will talk about this and much more in an effort to discover our very best us in every part of our lives. This podcast is brought to you by Darren Olson with Edward Jones in Bell Fountain. Well, Chris, today's episode is focusing on careers. And here's a part of our life that really most likely takes up more time than any other of the eight facets that we've been discussing. Right. Some people view this as a necessary evil. Others really enjoy their work. So let's discuss careers today. Sure. For myself, I always enjoyed my work. You know, it's not to say I didn't have a bad day or maybe even a bad season, but I enjoyed getting up and going to work and I enjoyed the people I worked with. I enjoyed tasks that I did. And I worked with a lot of people who were just the opposite. And, you know, I tried to do what I could to try to make them see things differently. Some people maybe made a difference, but for the most part, people are about as happy as they make up their mind to be. And I totally concur with your thoughts on it. I was in education for 36 years. I loved it. And what is that saying? Love your job and you'll never have to work another day in right. your life. I was a Confucius. Thank you. And I totally agree. So many times, especially when you're working. And back when I worked, I was very fortunate. You could still hug and touch. Mm-hmm. And I thought, why am I getting a paycheck when I get 50 hugs a day? Right. I truly believe that. Mm-hmm. So I, I was totally blessed. Yeah. There's so many statistics out there, uh, again, that talk about, I think it's over half the people say that they don't enjoy their work. The number one male suicide is work-related, money-related. I don't think it even registers for females. So that's That's just, again, the way we're wired. But they said the majority of them happen on Sunday night because as a man's thinking about what I got to walk into on Monday. Yeah. And it's, it's hard to imagine that people could discuss that so much. That's sad. Very sad. But as far as how we can change that mindset, again, I don't think you can't change a person unless they want to change, right? Right. Um, we can always do our best, and I think that's what we're expected to do. I think that there comes a point where when we talked earlier about the relationships and the disassociation, about the best thing you can do is you can't be around a toxic person that's going to drag you down. We all have work to do at our jobs, and I think we just have to put our best foot forward and hold people accountable. Because when we don't, if a boss doesn't hold people accountable, then everyone else can slack off as well if they see that this person's not doing their work. So the work life is is a major factor, as you said. It takes up more time than any other. You know, we can think of our church life as being a couple hours on Sunday and, and our prayer time. But work for most of us is at least 40 hours, if not 50 plus. Right. I think earlier I had mentioned the podcast I finished last month called Work Life by Adam Grant. And I don't even work. And I found his thoughts and the people he interviewed just so, I just embraced it. I I couldn't wait to run the next day so I could listen to more of, of his podcast. But it talks about also, you said the toxic environment. He addressed, how do you work with someone that is really... I won't use the word he used, but uh, not, not a nice person, an evil person right, that right. doesn't work as a team with anybody. And sometimes that happens and the environment isn't good. Yeah. Yeah. And, it, you know, if you don't have a good environment, a fair environment, you would want to seek other employment. 
But the one thing throughout my work career is I never quit a job without having another one lined up. And in my case, I never quit because I was angry at anyone. It was primarily because I, either I wasn't fulfilled or I needed more money. Or frustrated. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Because I found joy, satisfaction in about every job that I had. I can recall one of the early jobs, you know, I think we have to seek opportunities. And one way is what else is out there? And you can find that out either through the grapevine or you can find that out through the newspaper. The trouble with the newspaper is now you're going to compete with everyone else who saw that. Whereas if you can have relationships that someone says, hey, so-and-so's, you might just go in and tell them I sent you. You know, I think that's a much better way today. But going back to my early career, out of high school, I didn't go to college and I was working a minimum wage job. And again, it was fulfilling because it was interesting. I was being taught things that I didn't know. In the beginning, I was fixing windows and screens, and there's an art to cutting glass. And, you know, learning that at that age, I did things. My grandpa was one of the handiest men I knew, but he wouldn't cut glass. And when he would give me glass for a picture frame he'd made, and he'd watch me break it, he just kind of, you could see him kind of flinching because he thought, this isn't going to work, but it always did. So, you know, it's a skill that we can learn. And, and be with us our whole life. So that's the way I always looked at work was what can I learn and how can I apply that to later in later times? And I think that ties in with modeling. I think our parents, our family, our role models, I know my parents worked super, super hard and they were achievers and type A people. And, and I believe all three of mm-hmm. their children are the same way. And I believe when you work hard and you enjoy what you are doing, that it just leads to other jobs. People notice what you're doing and and you're not doing it for that reason. I always worked hard because I wanted the schools to be better, but most importantly, I worked hard for the children. I guess that's a very fortunate thing versus you worked at Honda. I could see the products right in front of me and I can dream of what's going to happen to those children after you work with them. So that's probably super fulfilling. I was fortunate to be in the education arena. Well, the second job I had actually happened to be working for your dad, hmm. and he had placed an ad in the paper for the par three golf course that used to be on the north right. end of town. And, you know, at first I looked at it, I'm 18 years old, maybe going on 19, and I'm thinking, what chance do I have? And then something hit me like, well, you're not having any chance if you don't try. So, True. So I went ahead and sent my resume in, and I got the phone call, and I met with your dad, and uh, he told me, he said, you know, I've talked to 30 people, but something tells me you're the guy for the job. And I thought, wow, you know, what a, what a blessing. Because at that time, I was a golfer and running a golf course, what could be better in life, right? Right. But there was a lot of work to it because it was a small enough operation. I couldn't hire anyone and I did it all myself. So there I am working from seven in the morning to nine at night and I can recall the water pressure wasn't enough to water the nine greens all at once. I could only do three at a time. So I would set them on there at nine at night, set my alarm for midnight, and go out and drag them to three other holes. And then at three in the morning, I'd go drag them to three other holes. That was a great opportunity, though. And I enjoyed that so much. I think I did it four or five years and got a lot of positive feedback from people. Wow, the place looks great. And I learned so much because I was learning, you know, taxes and all the kind of accounting different issues because it was, I was an entrepreneur is right, what I amounted to. Right. I didn't even know what that meant at the time, <laughs> but that's what I was. And your dad tried to sell that to me because I'd done such a good job. And, and I thought, well, what bank's going to 
give a 19-year-old or 20-year-old a loan? And he said, we'll just do it on a handshake. And, you know, at that time, I didn't have the knowledge to realize that in time, the price will go up because I was just thinking, right now I'm breaking even and I don't want to work this hard my whole life. So it was a great opportunity, but then I, I made the move in another direction primarily so I didn't have to work that many hours in a day. Well, Dad obviously hired the right person, <laughs> that's for sure. And, yeah. and what you took with you, yeah, you exactly. could apply in other situations. Exactly. exactly. Because, again, the hard work ethic that I had there right. took me into the next job. And, you know, I was working with people and I was learning things. And I actually went to DAB, a factory here in Bell Fountain, and uh, they hired me on the spot. I thought I was just a great interviewer. Well, it turned out that they just needed young males that could lift a lot of weight, you know, because uh, my interview lasted five minutes and I'm on the job. I go for an interview at three o'clock and the shift started at three and at 315 I'm, I'm working. You wow. Know? So get up to speed uh, fast. <laughs> yeah. And, and the job was, it was called the plater and it was lifting about 80 pounds at a time and about every 60 seconds. And someone figured it up that you lifted about 12 tons a night and, uh, I walked about seven miles, so you didn't need to be a weightlifter doing that job. No, no. But at any rate, I can't say I learned a lot, but I learned what I did not want to do. And I think, again, a lot of people say, how do you feel passion? A lot of times it's you have to do jobs that aren't pleasant. But again, I didn't quit. They had a policy that after 90 days you could bid on other jobs in the plant. So I saw an inspection job and I bid on it and I went through the interviews and I got it. And I remember a lot of people criticizing me saying, well, you're going to be stuck on second shift for life. And I thought, well, I'm on second shift now. Because, again, this was wintertime. The golf course wasn't open. And as fate would have it, I trained on first shift. And by the time the golf season came, the man that trained me had a heart attack. And the man on third took his place. And I was on third shift. So here I am working the midnight shift, 11 to 7. And I thought, could I do the golf course and this together? So I did for about two more years. Now, that didn't leave me any spare time no, uh, no, because I'm working 22 hours a day. Wow. But that's when I hired my brother, who was probably 15 at the time, did help with some mowing. And uh, in between waiting on people, I'd kind of fall asleep sitting in a chair. So mm -hmm. uh, if I wasn't 20 years old, I could have never done that. <laughs> right. From there, I went to a home center in, here in town. PK Lumber, if you remember that oh, place. Oh, I worked there too. Okay. That's all through high school and okay. college. That's yeah. I loved PK Walt Steffen. Lumber. Right. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> and, and again, I learned a lot. I and, didn't know And I had had that experience from the Bell Center, my first job. So right. I, so I already right. knew some things. Mm -hmm. The only reason I left DAB was because my boss was a couple years older than me and his boss was a couple years older than him and I saw no future. And again, they, from a salary standpoint, I was where they said I was going to be. So I, I enjoyed what I did, but I just, I wanted more fulfillment. So I went to PK and uh, things were good. They, they were equal or better than money-wise because there was some incentives for the housing boom that was going on at the time. But then that did a down cycle. And so those bonuses went away. That was when I uh, looked at Honda as an employment. And then I worked 30 years there. But the interesting thing with my career at Honda was I started on the line like everyone else. And just through working hard, I got an opportunity to get into an offline position where I was using my head more than my body. And I started working with people outside the department. I think the first ones that asked me if I'd want to make a change was administration. So I got into some HR work. 
And then later I was back in the manufacturing trying to fix up some problems. And then later purchasing asked me if I would come to there. So the neat thing was in all those moves, I didn't proceed upward, but I kept my intensity for learning new things. So that made my, my life fulfilled working that way. When you think about work and how much time it does take, I guess you could say you're pretty well defined by your work. Uh, oh, for sure. And that yeah. can be good and that can be bad. Well, no doubt. I think one of the first things when we meet someone is we say, where do you work? Right. You know, or something exactly. like that. And, right. you know, it's not, that, it's not that we're defined by our work, but it is a conversation starter. And it, and it can take us to another direction. Do you know so-and-so or, you know, whatever? Or what exactly do you do? Well, along those same lines, I have noticed when an individual graduates from high school, what's one of the first questions you ask them is, where are you going for college? Yeah. About eight years ago, I thought that is not the right question. Right. College isn't the answer. Right. It is one answer, but another one could be a trade school. It could be going right into the workforce. Right. So nowadays I just say, what are your plans after graduation? What are your plans for next year? Because it should be more open-ended than college. Yeah. I think when I was in school, it was thought of if you didn't go to college or something wrong with you. And and I, and I think, Mm -hmm. you know, today I've heard that a person that is maybe a air conditioner, furnace repair man is going to make more than a doctor eventually because there's getting to be less and less people that do that kind of work. You can relate to it, or at least your wife, is that if we have a doctor's appointment and we're sitting in that room, like if we're 10, 15 minutes waiting, we get little antsies thinking, okay, we had an appointment at 3.30, what's going on? However, if your sink is leaking or if you need something done to your washer or dryer, you will stay around for days waiting for that repairman. You know, they'll say, well, we'll get to you in a day or two and you don't leave the house because they are so important in our everyday life. Yeah. And if you don't have the skill to do that, then, you know, you have to depend on that person. Mm -hmm. Rarely is a job a career. In your case, it was, and in my case, it was. But today, I think more and more we're hearing about people that might have 10 jobs in their career, and they all last two or three years. And they might not even be in the position that they assumed when they got their college degree. Right. Because yeah. we changed. It's, it's a whole different world. It sure is. And, you know, I read a stat once, and this was from some time ago, that 80% of college degreed people aren't working in their degrees 10 years after. I believe that. Yeah. Maybe so, five. <laughs> and, and, I, and I saw that at Honda, but where we'd bring in a lot of engineers that had uh, a weld engineer, but they, they're doing nothing with that. They're all about people management. You know, and that reminds me of a, another story that I'd heard where the man's talk was about, he said, chase passion, not pension. Mm-hmm. And they did a study where they followed 100 college graduates, and they said, who took your first job based on who paid the most money? And 91 out of 100 admitted that they did that. The follow-up question was, who has attained a net worth of a million dollars? And none of them had. So then that leaves nine people. Nine people said, I took my job based on what I love to do. And the follow-up question, how many of you became have a net worth of a million dollars? Eight out of nine had. And people on the surface would say, how can that be? The issue, I guess, would be that for the people that are doing what they love, Think how much more pleasant they would be to be around. So that would lead to possible promotion opportunities over time that they didn't mind being there because they were doing things that they enjoyed. And so as they made more money, 
they had more wealth, they were sought out for more opportunities, promotions. So a lot of times when you chase something like the butterfly right. you hear, right. you know, it, it, you're not going to get it, but it'll land on your, your on shoulder. Your, yeah. Right. Yep. Exactly. Work harder on yourself than you do on your job. I talked about it with that when we mentioned personal development. And again, this doesn't say don't work hard on your job because you should always give 100% plus. I agree. But it's all about what you do with your discretionary time. And it's so important because if people are trying to become more, you know, and I imagine in the teaching fields it's this way because I know so many people that had a degree but then went back for a master's, you know, or right. something along that line. Right. So it's the same thing with, with anything else. I think the more we can learn, it's only going to make us more valuable for everything that's out there. I remember my father would always say, when you leave your job, and go home, you should feel that you gave your employer more than he gave you. Right. And so that ties in with what you said, just working hard and giving 110%. Right. Yeah. I I honestly believe that you do more than what you're asked because I think you work yourself into promotion that way rather than say, promote me and then I'll give you the extra, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't work that way. And Honda was a company that that believed that themselves. I worked in fields that I had no degree in, and I supervised people that had those degrees. But it was more about what capabilities do you have, and can you get along with people and and get them to work together. You are listening to the 8 Facets of Life podcast. Stay tuned for more after this message from our sponsor. With all the headlines, are you wondering if your retirement savings will last? The market's ups and downs can keep you guessing, especially if you're approaching retirement or considering it. Your Edward Jones advisor, Daryl Olson, can help. If you have more questions than answers about what's next, you can work together to help ensure you're prepared for your journey. After all, retirement isn't the end of the trek, it's a new beginning. Stop by the office at 125 South Main Street in Bell Fountain. Edward Jones, making sense of investing. Member SIPC. Now, back to the 8 Facets of Life podcast with Chris Conley and Debbie Ellis. You know, you were talking at the beginning that you were actually an entrepreneur when you were running Hmm. the Par 3 Golf. Right. And when you think about an entrepreneur, Steve Jobs would be one. Sure. you think about, he was one of the CEOs of Apple. Mm -hmm. And I was just reading, I think it was one of his last graduation speeches he gave. Right. And it was- Stanford, probably. I think it was, now that you said that. Because that's the one that's published very often. Because at that point in his life, I think he had learned a lot. and he, yeah. had, he had a lot to learn. But he talked about material things and working hard. But all those can be lost. Right. And it ties in with the other facets that you have taught us about, mm-hmm. Chris. And he said that the seven best doctors, he thinks, were God, sunlight, rest, exercise, diet, self-confidence, and friends. Which then kind of encompasses much of what you've been talking about in these eight facets of life. So there's a person, he was different. He was an entrepreneur, but he worked hard and he had a great imagination and a great originality to him. Mm -hmm. But in the end, we're saying work hard, you know, give what you can, but we also need to balance it with the other facets of life. Right. That reminds me of a story. Um, I think it was TSC that Mm -hmm. we have a branch here in Bell Fountain, but they were expanding quite a, many years ago, and they wanted more what they called district salesmen. And they thought, well, the best way to find these people would be go to the stores where the managers are working the most hours. They're probably the most dedicated. 
And so they promoted based off of that. Right. And they almost went under. Mm-hmm. And the reason being is mm-hmm. what they found later is the people that were working the most hours were working that because they couldn't motivate their employees to do the work. So they oh, were doing it themselves. So they, they weren't good trainers and whatnot. So a lot of times we think people that work the most hours are the most dedicated. That may not be the case. And so much of what I've learned and studied was that sometimes the guy or gal that says, you know, I'm going to give you my 40 or 45 or whatever, but at this time I have to leave because I've got, my son's got a ball game or my daughter's got this. Those are your best workers because they're going to give you everything they've got until that time. So that was a kind of an eye opener for me. Sure. When you think about CEOs and leaders, I I don't know the exact percentage, but the majority in in the United States are extroverts, which makes sense. They Mm -hmm. would interview well, as you had mentioned, and Mm -hmm. could communicate but when they did this study, they found actually the best leaders are ampiverts. And those are kind of the ones in the middle. They aren't introverts. They aren't extroverts, but they can relate to everyone. And so yeah. perhaps that ties in with maybe you have an extrovert that I can do it. I can do it. I'm going to do everything. But they don't know how to relate to other people right. and to bring them along with them as a team. Sure. Because there was a saying, you never actually did it. But they would say, if you're a good teacher, you can walk out of that classroom and the classroom keeps running and the kids right. keep learning without you right in front as the sage on the stage, so mm-hmm. to speak. And I think that's true because yeah. when you have everything together, the children know. And I mean, it doesn't matter. It can be second graders. It could be high school students. But that is the true key to being a good teacher. Right. And the thing, same thing goes in, in the manufacturing environment. Sure. When I left jobs to go to other sections of the company, I always felt that they won't miss a beat. And it wasn't, I didn't feel the need to be looked at as, oh, we're going to, we're going to drown without him. Cause I always thought it was more of a plus on me to say that things will continue as if I was, was going. So right up what you're saying. Right. And I was thinking back, there are key people and this ties in with the relationships that were mentors to mm-hmm. you. Um, and I can remember one superintendent that I worked with. I'll use his name, Dr. Carter. And he probably doesn't remember. He told me so many gems. But the most important thing that I had learned and could apply to other things, he said, Debbie, when you're going to praise somebody or say something good, write it down. But if you're going to criticize or correct them, say it. Mm -hmm. And the reason he said that is if you write down on evaluations or write down notes like you didn't do this or you should have done that. They can go back and read it and reread it and it can haunt them and they can read into it. So it's more important to write down the positive things and Mm. just say to their face the The things things. that aren't as positive. Mm -hmm. And I can remember that I was probably 25 years old when he told me that. And you can apply that to all aspects of your life. Sure. Michael Dell, I think we've all heard, we know Dell Computer anyway. Right. And I found a fascinating story on him growing up. They said that when he graduated high school, he was making more money than the high school principal. Oh. And uh, the way he did it was through newspaper sales. I never sold newspapers, but I think a lot of children can, can relate to getting their start doing that. And the boy that trained him on his route showed him how it was done, and this is the people that get the paper. And he said, why did you stop here? And he said, well, that's where I live. And so right away he's thinking, why didn't, there's, there's been six more houses added to this division since, you know, your house is here. So he went and looked those people up and he got two or three of them to sign up. 
then he saw his check was much larger and it was because new customers was more money for not just the paper but for him as well so it was an incentive to get more new customers so with that he decided how can i find new customers well it's either going to be through real estate transactions or it's going to be through marriages he said i found both of those in the courthouse so he wound up going to the courthouse to find out where were the new people coming to town and where were the people getting married that might be interested in the newspaper and then he farmed out his paper delivery so he had a, a whole system going in his city where he was coming up with the new leads and getting the sales, but he was getting other kids to deliver the paper. And he's wound up making more money than the principal. And I thought that was a fascinating story. It is. And when you're describing that, I was even thinking locally, we can all identify with Jason Duff. Oh my gosh, mm. he has saved our town. I really believe that. And what he has done, and he's been very innovative. He's put himself out there. And then people are following along. And mm. I just applaud what he started and all the people locally. They're basically trying to save our town. And yeah. it's it's beautiful. You can physically see it. You know, the number of cars down Main Street. Mm-hmm. It's an entrepreneur at his best. And other people have bought into the idea. And I just applaud everyone's efforts. Yeah. One tip I guess I would give people if they're struggling with this particular aspect of their life would be, Check out this guy by the name of Dan Miller. He's got a podcast. It's called 48days.com. I know you can get it on all the different iTunes and whatnot, but I always just go to his website and then I listen to it. And it's it's the one podcast that I listen to weekly. Every Friday he does it, but you can get it anytime. And the neat thing is he's done it over 10 years. So there's almost 600 episodes that are out there. You can look at a title and say, this sounds interesting and listen to it. I'm not going to say that you're going to get great amount from every episode, but I'm fascinated, like you talked about earlier, you don't work anymore and you listen to Adam Grant, I think you said it was. Yes. Well, Dan Miller's the same way. He he gives so much information about how our work ties into every other aspect of our life and the different people that he's helped. He's, he's considered a career coach, and he has uh, helped so many people that – they did a job for whatever reason, but it wasn't something that they loved. So the book that he wrote, 48 Days to the Work You Love, walks people through the process on how can I find that without work. You know, I don't want to be upset and disgruntled. I remember one quick story I'll share. A surgeon came to him and the guy said, I'm a heroin addict. I've ruined all the veins in my arms and my legs. I'm currently shooting in my feet. And he said, if you don't help me, I'm going to be dead. And the guy said, uh, so what does he do? Well, it turns out he's a doctor. And, and he says, why did you get into that field if you don't like it? And he said, well, it's uh, my dad's a doctor. His dad's a doctor. It was expected of me. And he said, as they, as they talked more, it wasn't that he didn't like being a doctor. He didn't like all the bureaucracy with it, you know, the paperwork insurance. And he said, what would you do if you weren't a doctor? And he said, oh, I'd really like to drive a truck. But he said, I know that would kill my family. So once he had all this information, they they started talking and and they said they found out that emergency room doctors basically don't want to be there, but they all have to take their turn. So this guy went there and was a Saturday-Sunday doctor because that way he could just patch people up and they could go see their own doctor and he didn't have to do with paperwork anymore. So he could still use his profession, but and he'd make more money because Saturday and Sunday paid better than other days like it does in most places. And then, guess what he did with the other five days a week? What? 
<laughs> he drove a truck. Oh. So, you know, there's a case where a guy. He blended it. Yeah. He's doing what he what he had training to do. Right. And he's helping people. Doesn't have to mess around with the things he doesn't like. And he's fulfilled in life because he's doing something that he wants to do. And I tell you, I've heard him tell a hundred stories like that. Just how he's helped people kind of come to the realization. Yeah, if, you, if you're $200,000 in debt because of your education, it's tough to walk away from that. But is there a way that you can still get that done and use what you've learned, but at the same time be more fulfilled in what your job is? Right. And as you describe that, I think of Dr. Ryan Kaufman here in town and how to just care about people and not the paperwork and right. bureaucracy and insurances. He started that Hickory Medical, which is more of a direct primary care. So that reminds me of that. He doesn't drive truck, but right. he's, he's right. doing other things. Yep. I think as we sum up everything, Chris, there's a Bible verse that we both would right. probably agree with on work willingly at whatever you do as though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. Right. And I think that balances out. Yeah, that's Colossians 3.23. Thank you. I've heard it said before, someone's asking a person, what are they doing? They said, I'm laying block, you know, mm -hmm. and another person, what are you doing? Well, they're going to make a church here. And the third person says, it's going to be a beautiful cathedral. You know, who do you think's working the best? You know, it's, it's a person that's into their work that understands, I'm not just doing this. This is what this is going to be in the end. Absolutely. Thank you for listening today as we finished up careers. Our next episode will be on finance and the person who is an expert in that area who will be joining us is Darren Olson. Have a great day. Thanks for listening to the Eight Facets of Life podcast. If you have questions or comments about what you heard today, please visit our website at the number eight facetsoflife.com. The Shine FM Podcast Network.